0: Hello and welcome to these excerpts of the West Vic PHN Project ECHO COVID-19 Pandemic Response Series brought to you by the West Vic PHN in collaboration with the Department of General Practice at the University of Melbourne and Barwon Health. My name is Bianca Forrester and I'm the GP facilitator for this series. This session was recorded on Thursday the 23rd of April at seven thirty a.m and is part one of our series examining emerging models of primary care. In a time in the pandemic response where we are rapidly adapting to digital and phone consultations as part of social distancing and infection control measures. Good morning, everyone, um, and welcome to Project ECHO, our fourth session here at um, West Vic PHN. So it's six weeks since the COVID pandemic was declared by WHO, and this series has been um, created uh, in collaboration with um, Uni of Melbourne and with um, our guest facilitators, to start to address the issues emerging in primary care and um, to understand better the tertiary sector and PHN response. So in our first week, we began um, with regional planning in regards to COVID testing, respiratory assessment clinics, infection control and safety strategies, and we moved into place-based approaches. I'm sorry, I'm out of breath. I've just been doing a bit of setup in the background. Um, So looking at vulnerable groups, aged care and disability specifically, and looking at um, their the response in that sector, uh, in REACH supports, and how they've been impacted upon by the pandemic. So this morning, I'd like to welcome you to our fourth session with a focus on emerging models of care in primary care, with now hybrid digital and face-to-face consultation models emerging. Um, we've had to adapt rapidly, uh, and so this morning is about sharing our learning, our challenges and our successes in primary care. I'm Bianca Forrester, I'm a GP, and I'll be facilitating this morning's uh, meeting. I'd like to welcome all the participants now to begin to introduce yourself in the chat. I'd like to begin this morning by respectfully acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land upon which we meet today, and I'd also like to pay my respects To elders past, present and emerging and extend respect to other um, Aboriginal people connecting in today. Now I'd like to introduce our panel, Mr Glenn Bradley, um, Assistant Director of Services and Systems at the PHN. We'll hear briefly at the beginning from Deb Freeman, our ID physician who will give us an update on COVID, but we're going to ask Deb to come back at the end to answer um, specific questions. So Deb's section this week will be a little bit shorter at the beginning, but she'll have some time again at the end. Dr Jeff Urquhart is coming with his hat on as GP and RACGP. Practice and Technology Management Committee member and he'll be orientating us to some of the frameworks um, around ECHO and some guidance that's um, been put forward and we welcome Dr David Wilson, um, GP Principal Partner at Lister House Clinic, who will describe to us some of the -the on-the-ground activities in his clinic in Horsham. Amanda Wilson also um, will represent some of the work that she's been doing as part of the team and we'll finish off as always with Kate Graham um, health pathways editor and we'll hear how to um, go from there so I would like to now hand over to um, Glenn Bradley please introduce yourself and let us know give us that update
1: Great, thanks Bianca the key component is that we can now confirm we have um, approved uh, Commonwealth funding for four respiratory clinics across the Western Vic area Uh, Ballarat is up and running as is uh, one in Geelong at Cadinia Health, and we've, um, as of the end of last week, had approval for uh, one in Ocean Grove and Lister House in in Horsham, and we're hoping to to have a fifth come online in the next um, two to four weeks as well. But for, for for me, I think today's session is is really important because uh, I've heard it said a couple of times, but it's really been a bit of a once in a lifetime. Scenario that we've seen where uh, we've seen telehealth become front and centre as part of core practice. Uh, I heard a a research um, general practitioner make the comment that uh, it took uh, about two to three years for computers to come into general practice as a part of the core business. Telehealth, it's taken two to three weeks, which uh, is just phenomenal and, and just the impact that that has both from a clinician point of view but also from a patient point of view. So I think the discussion that we're going to have today is really, really important. Obviously, over the last um, uh, four weeks, we've seen an expansion of uh, telehealth uh, items that's occurred. And then subsequent to that, there was an expansion into um, non-COVID items uh, for MBS billing. And then obviously last week, we saw the, um, the introduction of a further expansion of telehealth MBS items that could be built for nursing and other clinical staff, which again, um, really does change the, um, the 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 options that are available, but also then puts challenges, uh, for practices in place, how best to actually do that. So thanks Bianca, I'll uh, hand back.
0: Okay, thank you. So now I'd like to introduce our first panel member, um, Dr Jeff Urquhart. Jeff, if you could just introduce yourself and the role from which you speak today and um, take it away, thanks.
2: Yeah, thanks Bianca. So, um, Hi, I'm uh, Jeff Urquhart here. Hopefully most of you know me. I'm a um, a GP and uh, also Health Pathways Editor and also a member of the RACGP Practice, Technology and um, Management Committee. Uh, Next slide, thanks. So as I mountain bike down a narrow track trying to avoid the trees, I'm often reminded of my early experience with telehealth. Fantastic when it all works. And previous slide... Fantastic when it all works, but easily can be compromised when things fall apart, just like hitting a tree on the mountain bike trail. So this is my brief today. Some broad observations from my use of telehealth um, and and my video-based consults, which have occurred in general practice over the last month, and also when I consulted from home during a three-day isolation period, and then a larger number of video-based consultations that I've conducted at the Bowen Health Fracture Clinic. Additionally, some of my information has come from... um, Uh, members of the RACGP committee, including uh, Rob Hosking, the chair, Dr. Mandeep Hansra and Dr. David Adam. Today, I'll try and cover areas such as the MBS item numbers, how to do a video consult and a telehealth consult, a bit about risk management, and then um, a little bit about prescribing and the new new kit on the block e-prescribing that's about to come and just finally something about resources that are available out there for you. So telehealth is an emerging model of care that we're trying to get our heads around. So developments expected to take years has suddenly been thrust upon general practice as part of the government's response to our pandemic and leaving a number of practices scrambling to successfully establish brand new systems in a very short period of time. So video telehealth is all about usability, security, privacy, cost, integration with current systems, and is it safe compared to -to face-to-face? There's a number, and the numbers interestingly are quite impressive so far. We've had three million consultations on telehealth, 90% phone, 10% video, which is what I'd sort of expect, and up to 50% of GP consults in some practices have actually been uh, using a telehealth format. And some of the specialist groups, including ear, nose and throat, ortho, psychiatry, have also been uh, groups that have taken this up in a big way. Uh, Next slide. So MBS telehealth item numbers. So there's a broad range of MBS item numbers out there that have been implemented over several weeks um, rather than many years for this process to occur. You've got um, a whole range of item numbers related to ABCD level consults, mental health consults, chronic disease management, after-hours consults, just to name a a few. Obviously this morning, I can't go into all the details, so you'd need to refer to the MBS resources online um, for the specifics around these item numbers. Interestingly, the the telehealth item numbers are due to expire on the 30th of September this year, but many experts believe that um, the future, that, that most some of these numbers will actually remain in the future. So there's two ways to do telehealth billing. There's bulk billing um, with a bulk billing co-payment for concession card holders, children under six, 16 and vulnerable groups. And then for the rest, you can, you can bulk bill, but there's also the potential to private bill with a gap. Um, so telehealth um, can be conducted multiple times on a patient per day, maybe two might be reasonable. And you can also do telehealth in the morning and then maybe a face-to-face consult later in the day. Obviously, email and online chat does not um, get over the line as an as a, as a MBS item number. And interestingly, also, the, the PIP has been doubled if you open for more than four hours a day. Um, so a little bit just about how to do these um, consults. So it's relatively easy, obviously, to do a telephone consult, but not necessarily the most effective in a number of ways. And many have discovered that the video telehealth consults, there's really no easy answers um, as to how to embrace them. Equipment needed, a webcam um, or a smartphone or a laptop with a camera. There's lots of software out there, and this is where it gets a bit confusing. Uh, I've used Health Direct at the hospital and in general practice, Doxy or GP Connect that are fairly simple to use on a smartphone. There's also something being set up by one of the local um, consultants um, in this space as well, Dr. Uh, Adam Roberts. But things like Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, MS Teams, GoToMeeting probably aren't safe enough to use. So initially you need to decide, can this just be a telephone consult, or am I gonna try and do video um, to get a better feel for what's going on? So telephone generally, if it's an uncomplicated, set of symptoms just administrative type consult but the video offers so much more richness in its um in its um breadth so you've got visual information uh you've got diagnostic cues when you look at the patient you've got a therapeutic presence and you can sort of assess whether the patients uh you know it's better for sicker patients and patients with comorbidities so the process um look it's all they're on health pathways. Um, but just to go through this in a bit more detail, obviously introduce yourself, identify the patient, was the patient expecting this to be a video telephone consult and describe that this is occurring under a C19 pandemic. Uh, you need to um, um, also find out what the patient wants out of the consult, gather your history in the usual way. And then if you're doing video, then you've got extra cues such as, um, you know, does the patient look sick? Um, you know, they've got respiratory distress and a whole range of other things that you can do to get the patient to, to interact with you. And then sometimes you've got devices at home such as blood pressure machines, um, thermometers that can give you other information. Obviously, you need to advise the patient about the billing, whether it's being bulk billed or whether there'll be a gap. Privacy, such as making sure that the, um, uh, you know, the, the console is not being recorded. So, and then obviously you have to have a safety and quality around what you're doing. So when to use. So it's obviously for patients who are vulnerable and don't need to, don't want to come into the practice um, when you're issuing doctor certificates or repeat scripts or updating referral letters, mental health counselling, routine chronic disease checkups and obviously patients who may have COVID-19 symptoms where you don't want them to enter the practice. If you want to add in video then, I think you've got to choose the right demographic. I usually try and think about an 18 to 50 year old group as my group is going to have the technology, where you want more assessment than the phone can provide. And uh, also you want quieter periods to start off so you're not sort of running a busy afternoon or morning clinic. Nursing nursing homes can also be a good area to start if it's supported by uh, your nursing staff in the facility or relatives. And you also need good support from your front desk practice managers to assist with technology and bookings. Uh, Just a little bit about my own experience with patients who've had the telehealth consult process. They've certainly been highly valued and with the video you get a personal connection to the patient. And you the patients say that they're very happy to pay for GAP consultations when the video is there compared to a telephone. And also it's extremely convenient as I don't have to drive to the practice or wait in the practice. Obviously risk management is quite important when we're talking about telehealth. So certainly there's certain patient groups that I wouldn't do telehealth on. So if you don't know the patient, then it adds a bit more difficulty, but this may be okay if they're urgent patients that need to be seen. Certainly with unknown patients who are requesting S8 drugs is a no-no, and obviously any consultation with a patient needs to be examined, and also if the patient has significant symptoms and you want them um, to be examined. You always need to get the patient consent for the consultation. Try and ask where the patient is. As I had one patient where I did a video consult while he was driving his car and then parked in a shopping centre. Sort of worked, but, you know, maybe I should have done it at another location. And also, is there a third party in the room? Document everything as you would for a face-to-face and just apply the usual code of medical practice and also make sure that you're um, using some of the APRA guidelines for technology-based consultations. The MDOs are on, on board as far as, uh, as, as I have um, ascertained, as long as you're using appropriate standard peer-based care. So just a little bit about me when I had to self-isolate for three days and the challenges for prescribing, pathology and medical certificates. So when I was doing prescribing at home, I was able to print the script out, could fax it or email it or even text it to the um, pharmacist. Um, Emailing, faxing and text, um, all those uh, contacts are actually available through a a PHN contact list. And obviously you need to be aware that um, in the current climate, you don't actually have to supply the paper copy to the pharmacist and you can just store it in your practice for two years. Um, Pharmacies can then obviously deliver the the, um, medication to the patient or use an Australia Post service. Interestingly, for diagnostic and imaging requests, um, they don't actually need a signature at the moment, although medical certificates do need a signature. So, three days of home, managed to do telephone consults and order pathology, radiology, and do scripts without being in the practice. So, a little bit about um, what's happening in the future. So, you should never waste a crisis. Um, And interestingly, um, e prescribing, which we never thought would get up, has actually been Um, come through with a very rapid sprint from the Department of Health. And it looks like we'll be getting electronic prescribing without paper scripts up in the next few months. So the GP software vendors have all indicated that they're rapidly developing capability in this space. And so we've got Best Practice ZMed offering um, this capability in mid-May and Medical Director certainly says it's well on its way. So this works um, with what's called a prescription um, service where the, um, using ERX or MediSecure, where the script is sent up to a central server and then the pharmacy pulls it down with a token, uh, which can either be an SMS, email or a paper docket that the patient takes to the pharmacy to obtain the script. So that's certainly something that we were dreaming about and may actually come in in the next couple of months. So watch this space. Um, And finally, in my last minute or two, um, just a little bit about resources. There's a whole stack of resources out there. Um, Some of the important things, ask other colleagues who are using the software, look at Health Pathways. There's an exit COVID-19 Health Pathways um, page, which has a lot of the process and a lot of what I've spoken about today. Um, Obviously, there's the MBS online for the the MBS uh, uh, telehealth numbers. Also, the RACGP has got some excellent guides um, and resources up on their telehealth page. And also, I just need to draw your attention to um, Trish Greenhog, uh, a BMJ paper that I think you might have access to that was emailed out to you that's got a very good resource on, um, on how to do COVID-19 consults in, uh, with video. Also, practice managers can be a very good resource because they can chase things for you and PHN digital health officers also Uh, can be a great resource and the other thing that I've found in the last few months is being part of a social media group such as um, Telegram um, can actually give you a lot of information on how things are are running and the other thing is just to give it a go because most of the platforms are free or virtually no cost so you can actually just put a toe in the water and see how things go so this is the um, Health Pathways resource that's available uh, the RACGP um, telehealth resources. And this is the um, Trish Greenhalgh's the Oxford, Oxford, Oxford GP with her BMJ paper and a sort of a nice little flow chart that's a very practical way to look at a COVID-19 consult. And finally, um, I'd just like to say that there was a recent Pulse IT survey of GPs in April that asked GPs as to whether they thought healthcare will revert to pre-pandemic workflows when it's all over. said yes, 83% said no. So I think telehealth is um, maybe having a bit of a foothold in the future of the brave new world of consumer-centred healthcare. So thanks very much for attending and listening.
0: Thanks, Jeff. All right, thank you very much. And, and um, hopefully if those resources haven't come to you, through to you, we'll send them to you in the next day or two. So Jeff's provided us an overview of telehealth. Thank you very much for doing that. And now let's contextualise it by putting it in the place of COVID-19, which um, leads me to introduce our next member of the panel, Deb Friedman, to give us a, a, a brief update on COVID-19 in our region. Thanks, Deb. Thank you, Bianca.
3: Um, Good morning, everybody. Um, Please don't take notice of my teeth. It's an an unusual look, but I do have a full set of teeth. Um, So I wanted to give a very brief update on where things stand right now. Um, As everybody's aware, there's about 6,650 cases in all of Australia with 74 deaths. We've done nearly a half a million tests within the country, 1.5% of them being positive. Within Victoria, our numbers are staying fairly steady at 1,336. 10% of cases in Victoria are ones which we presume have occurred through community-based transmission where we don't know exactly um, what the link was in those cases. But that's staying steady at about 10%. There's been um, a slight increase in numbers in Victoria and a little bit throughout the country in the last week because of repatriation of people from overseas and an increased amount of testing. Um, The numbers locally, so the number in Geelong has gone from 62 to 63, but we believe that that increase is because of a reassignment of numbers based on where people actually reside, not because of a new infection. Um, Same numbers on our surf coast, the numbers in Ballarat got downgraded from 10 to 9. Once again, I think it's a reassignment based on ge- geography. And then the same numbers in the Grampians region and Warrnambool. The doubling time, which I've referred to before, now sits at 24 days. When we spoke last week, it was about 18 days. Um, locally, we're continuing to test extensively and obviously, Um, We'd already heard from Glenn about the increase in the number of clinics um, within the region that are capable of doing tests. The testing criteria, which everybody's aware of, you don't require any epidemiological criteria, but fever without any other diagnosis to explain the fever or an acute respiratory infection. And if you're a close contact of somebody who's had COVID-19, you can have more mild symptoms, such as potentially rhinorrhea, loss of smell, nausea, vomiting, diarrhoea, could all fulfil criteria for testing. Um, In Victoria, currently, there is 29 people in hospital, 12 in intensive care. What we do know in Victoria is... Slightly more than 10% of cases are in healthcare workers. Not all of these cases, so there's 163 reported in Victoria in total, not all of these 163 cases are thought to have been acquired at work. Some of them were from travel, but ultimately that we understand the risk moving in two directions. One is that those healthcare workers could transmit to patients, but also the fact that Um, healthcare workers are at risk of transmission from patients. With regard to PPE, the Department of Health put out a new guideline on PPE called a Guide to the Conventional Use of PPE, which puts PPE into tiers, as in T-I-E-R-S. The most important thing to remember is we we have been talking about this. If you see somebody with a completely non-coronavirus-related Condition you're supposed to utilise standard precautions which would be suitable for the setting regardless of what that setting might be. And we've talked before about the recommendations for PPE if you're performing testing or seeing people who you believe are potentially a suspected case. Um, um, I wanted to address a question that had been sent in previously um, about viral load of patients and I wanted to indicate that What we do know is that patients who have pneumonia with COVID-19 illness have a higher viral load, which may be sustained and continue well beyond day 12 of their illness. It's presumed that these patients are more likely to transmit infection, and thus the reason that if you're seeing a patient that's thought to have a significant pneumonia, the recommendation is to use airborne precautions, i.e. an N95 mask rather than a surgical mask. However, those patients with a higher viral load, even though they might be more likely to transmit, it doesn't influence the illness in the recipient. It is thought that the illness in the recipient um, is more related to their own immune response, not related to the viral load that might be in the person that transmitted it to them. Um, We're seeing clear themes emerging in conversations at the federal and local level regarding getting back to business as usual. So knowing about elective surgery after Anzac Day with some increases in that and messages around going back to continuity of care in all sectors, including the most important one, which is primary care. We know that our stockpiles of intensive care equipment and PPE are good right now, um, Australia-wise. And the other thing to mention is that the basic reproductive number for this infection, while it was much higher previously, is now less than one, it's actually 0.5. What does that mean? When the reproductive number is less than one, it's thought that the, illness, that the viral pandemic can fade away. That means that elimination is possible, even though that hasn't been the goal within Australia. I, I, I should mention, however, that elimination, if it were to occur, would be brief because as soon as we open up travel and other things with our borders, we would be at risk of resurgence of infection. Um, So the directive currently is test, 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 um, and continue business as usual. Um, continuity of care within the community. We do have a couple of lessons from overseas that we should not be following. Um, some countries very quick to want to get back to business as usual when they're still having a very large number of new cases and a large um, number of deaths daily, which is not something that Australia is following. Um, Thankfully, and then just to also highlight to you that the Department of Health had come out with a directive on about three days ago regarding pregnant staff, mentioning that beyond 28 weeks, they said that they should not be having any patient contact at all, not even regarding coronavirus, but no patient contact that's now been revised as of last night. And it's come back to a more sensible level of saying that if they're well, they should take all precautions. It would be better if they weren't specifically working in a coronavirus area, but they should use their own sense um, beyond 28 weeks. Um, That's all that I had to say and I'm happy to take
0: questions at the end, thank you. Okay, thanks Deb. And um, as we've done in the past, if you've got um, infection control and COVID related questions or other questions for Deb, please just pop them in the chat. Deb will be keeping across that chat and um, certainly if we haven't, um, the questions we will bring it back for a rapid fire five minutes at the end. All right, so thank you and um, now I'd like to hand over to Dr David Wilson from Lister House in Horsham. Dave, if you could introduce yourself and I know that Amanda's with you. If um, we get time, we are running tight but we would love to hear from some of those experiences of Amanda as well. So um, I'll throw across to you, um, David, if you're able to pop yourself off. If you can turn your video on. Oh, there we are. I can see you. David and Amanda, Welcome. Um, good morning everybody take it away
4: yeah so uh look it's um some of you would know me some of you don't but um i've been a gp in horsham for 30 years i'm uh very involved in gp obstetrics pediatrics and some teaching in horsham and uh some of those areas have changed dramatically over the last few uh months um With uh, regard to the the hospital side of my work, that probably hasn't changed all that much, although the background meetings and preparation and stress has been uh, a a new thing. Um, But the sort of day-to-day functioning in terms of uh, birthing suite and that really hasn't changed for us at the present time. The teaching side of things, uh, and those of you who are um, educators, um, that has changed dramatically. Um, teaching students, um, we have Deacon students teaching them um, in a the telehealth setting is is quite a, a novel and challenging thing, and difficult to um, get, uh, I guess, adequate uh, clinical experience for the students. And we uh, will have a new registrar starting soon, and and that will be a challenge if there's really very few face-to-face patients to see and discuss. Um, Telehealth has um, been a challenge, uh, partly technologically. Um, we find that we're doing mo- more phone consultations. Um, that's partly um, some of our doctors are not very technologically minded, so struggle with that. So, uh, would rely on the phone, and we have a lot of older patients who um, simply do not manage the the interface for the video consults. So. Um, uh, yeah, anybody over 60, I, I don't even bother with trying to link up a, a video consult for them. Um, my experience is that work has actually become more time consuming, uh, and I'd be interested to hear from others whether they've found that. So I think uh, the introduction to a video or telehealth consultation takes longer, um, the process takes longer, uh, all the bits of its rounding up at the end also take longer. So I find my working day as extended rather than shortened. Um, the plus side is uh, we can now get paid legitimately for following up uh, results and uh, progress, uh, something we would have wouldn't previously have got paid for, but might have just been a simple phone call to the, the patient which would, would have been unpaid in the past. So that's one of the bonuses that we see for the future and hopefully that will uh, continue. Um, Manpower, I think we've been lucky that we haven't had any uh, real COVID cases in Horsham, but uh, I think if that escalates, I think that is going to be a a difficult thing. Uh, We're a reasonably large practice. Uh, The uh, degree with which various doctors feel comfortable or not comfortable with dealing with the sticky patients, uh, with the COVID patients, I think will mean that if things do get worse, the uh, more infective or potentially infective patients will fall to a small number of doctors who will, uh, will take the load and uh, it's not gonna be evenly spread. So that's one of my concerns, manpower wise. But I might hand over to Amanda and uh, she can fill you in with what's happening more in the community.
0: Thanks Amanda.
5: Um, so my role is I work at Lister House Clinic alongside the doctors as well. Um, I'm a registered nurse with other, um, qualifications as well, but my role really has been, um, organising where the clinic is specifically at and how we can actually deal with these people. So the actual policies, procedures, how to do that, we've had to deal with everything as David was saying for patients, uh, the doctors alone who, you know, are getting sore necks now from using phones and having to source headphones that we didn't have and Harvey Norman ran out a long time ago and so we've had just little things like that that have made it incredibly difficult we can't travel anywhere to to go get other ones so trying to source things like that has been challenging. We actually have set up an email system that we put out into the community that people can email in because we've only got eight phone lines into our clinic at any time anyway so I'm sure other people have that difficulty that if all the doctors are on the phones or the nurses are ringing care plans uh, then we, we, um, even though we have four allocated to the front desk, that's just becoming um, critical in its mass of how many people are trying to ring in. So we've set up an email system that works really well. They get a, a message as soon as they email saying it's triaged, so you have to wait in turn. You might not be answered straight away, obviously, if it's an emergency, et cetera. Um, that's been working well for that overload. I usually get people complaining um, about they can't get through, particularly with we've got no flu vaccines either, So that's just funny, not. Um, So the other thing I've done in the community as well is I I kind of panicked straight up. Horsham is unique in the fact that our community is fairly contained. Um, So what we did was we set up a local group that um, was to do with local businesses and other people who, you know, everything from the food bank to Red Cross, et cetera. Um, And what we've done is organised a central number that everybody and anybody can ring. So if you're short of toilet paper or you've got a health question or you're having um, domestic abuse, everybody can use this one phone number that's actually done by one of the local community groups. They're manning it and then they send the person in the right direction and give them um, assistance that way. So we've got the ability um, and the uniqueness to be able to uh, develop that sort of core central community group, which a lot of other people, places might not be able to do as well. So we kind of feel like our communities really come together and with this phone number that is being used quite significantly already because we've got it out there really well. Um, and we've found it instead of turning into COVID questions, it's now turning into sort of that mental health question. So our community group has definitely changed from not worrying as much about COVID as it is now. It's turned into sort of mental health and job losses and people's anxiety and stresses. So... Um, We voted last night, every other group we've been with is starting to go fortnightly, but everyone voted last night that um, it was actually going to continue weekly because they felt well the community contact as a whole was, was excellent. So I was really pleased about that. So that's probably one of our biggest changes is it's rotated very quickly from just sort of medical issues now to community issues for us. Thanks
0: for sharing that Amanda and there's one more story that you told me last week that I'm keen for you to share which was um, that because of your engagement with the community in this way and responsiveness to their social and mental health needs, which of course I know a lot of GPs are you know, describing, uh, other clinics are describing, but you mentioned that you'd managed to convert a treatment room across to become a mental um, health, tele-health or allied health model, how's that, has that worked? Yeah, we have
5: um we have a counsellor in, in the clinic that we've set up and and putting out there with the community groups as well. So that's working really well. She's doing telehealth. Um, they, we still do a mental health care plan over the phone. We still sort it through her and she actually rings and books them all in and she's um, got very quiet there for a minute and now she's inundated again. So um, it's also sort of reallocating of resources. Um, as I was telling you the other day about our care plan nurses as well um and actually our clinic nurses because we've got quite a lot of them and their jobs have specifically dried up because we're not doing small elective um procedures within the clinic uh, so we've got them looking at stuff that we've been wanting to do for a really long time such as you know the um, cancer care plans. so we've now contacted um, people who are in that group um, and giving them the availability that um, they can actually do care plans for their Um, issues if they would like so we are trying to reallocate
0: resources so it's actually working really well at the minute fantastic thanks for sharing that and i'm wondering if um, you know as we continue to discuss telehealth over a few weeks you know i think we've got this guidance piece that and we're very much oh it's hard to show the share these we're very much today i guess focusing on you know in a way we're focusing on gp use of telehealth but i'm really interested as to how other providers within our teams nurses nurse practitioners um uh, you know allied health are increasingly using um telehealth uh, as part of our primary care model so i'd be interested if anyone's got some stories to share if you start popping them through the chat because I'm wondering if this is you know something that if other people are thinking of like uh, as Lister House are too all right well thank you to our panelists so I'm now going to move on to some questions so that concludes our panel presentation for the morning discussion during our interactive focused on the key themes of mixed billing the issue of following phone and or digital consults with face-to-face and how then to justify the application of a second consultation number we discussed the handling of SAT S8- drugs and prescription drugs of addiction, the high administrative burden of telehealth, Uh, We talked about phone versus video consultation, common platforms and feedback about what was working well and what wasn't. There were some concerns about the learning needs and capacity to teach GP registrars and medical students at this time and ongoing discussion about the pleasure and nuisance of wearing scrubs, who was wearing them, how often to change them and whether it was worth all the fuss in this time. So this segues nicely into the last part of uh, the morning session, a rapid five minutes of answers relevant to infection control and COVID To be answered now by ID physician Deb Friedman at the close of this meeting.
3: Um, Thanks, Bianca. Just a couple of um, questions coming through the chat. One was about patients who have um, coronavirus-related pneumonia. Um, I just wanted to mention, while a lot of them would be in hospital, in younger patients they can have surprisingly minimal symptoms despite having radiological evidence of pneumonia so you may still have patients with COVID-19 pneumonia in the community and therefore potentially with that higher viral load that I mentioned before so not always the case but especially in younger patients they could have surprisingly minimal symptoms with regards to examinations like eye examinations in the absence of any symptoms in the patient that you're examining The recommendation according to the usual tiers of PPE would be that you would utilise standard precautions which would be things like hand hygiene and it wouldn't include a mask. However, I acknowledge that doing things like a slit lamp lamp examination gets you into close confines with the patient less than 1.5 metres and in the era of social distancing, it's not inappropriate to don um, a surgical mask, although not necessarily required. Um, I wanted to quickly touch on wearing scrubs. Obviously, they're easily washable, and it means you're not contaminating your clothes, but given the extremely low prevalence of coronavirus and the very limited number of new cases, um, the widespread use of scrubs is certainly not required, although I fully acknowledge that I've always loved the idea of going to work in scrubs. They're not necessarily required from an infection control point of view. the message that came through for about changing in and out doesn't make any sense, as you mentioned, to be changing in and out of scrubs during the day. And if you're going to be wearing a, um, a set of scrubs, the idea is is it's supposed to be in front line in a coronavirus ward where you wear them all day and then you take them off, you shower and you throw them in the wash. So probably not required, although every I think the scrub uh, manufacturers are doing well out of this pandemic. So let's not. Let's not um, compete for their livelihood. And then finally, just the hospital obviously is open. It's been reasonably quiet during the lockdown period in all domains, but it's certainly open for emergencies. Um, But just keeping in mind that the emergency department is open for emergencies. I've been told um, by the ED to just reiterate again that it is for emergencies. Um, We've had GPs sending in patients urgently at 10 o'clock at night for testing for coronavirus um, when they were not extremely unwell and could easily have come in the next day because we've got testing every day of the week. So just indicating let's utilise it for emergencies. Um, and that's... Um, I, I'm just well, well, at
0: Deb, There's one more in there. I understood surgical mask stopped you from passing on to others, but an N95 stops you from catching anything. So are immunocompromised docs wearing N95 for all consults? Um, thanks for that question. Immunocompromised staff,
3: I guess the first thing to say is should consider the areas in which they're working in. Um, I think wearing a surgical mask is still adequate for immunocompromised hosts. And I I guess what was written there is not strictly true, that both masks work in both directions in terms of transmission, but surgical mask would be adequate.
0: Thanks for listening and please come join the conversation again next Thursday, the 30th of April, 7.30am via Zoom. We'll continue the conversation about telehealth and you can register at the West Vic PHN simply by Googling West Vic PHN Project Echo COVID-19 Series. We'd love it if you pre submitted questions to our panel of experts in content and experts in context. That is you. And Dr. Kate Graham now closes our meeting with updates about relevant health pathways and the new mobile app. Okay, thank you, everyone.
6: Um, Some of you may have noticed that um, on Health Pathways, there's been a little banner at the top of our usual site saying that we're um, moving to a mobile friendly platform. And I wanted to let everyone know that on the 28th, we'll be moving across. Um, That move comes with a new web address. Um, The old web address will automatically transfer you across. Um, However, you will need to have a new login. This is the um, sort of appearance that the new site will have. Um, It's definitely a much better sort of appearance when you're using it on mobile devices, Um, and a lot more people are using mobile devices these days in the world of telehealth. Um, So it's good timing um, from our point of view so if you don't um, have your login password, it's a common password and login for everyone. Um, so it's West Vic and then pathways with a four for the A. If you have any trouble, the email link uh, will be on the website. Um, there'll be people on hand on the 28th if you have any trouble logging on, uh, but definitely keep sending us feedback um, to request topics, add information, let us know that anything's not working or not correct. There's so much change in this evolving space. And I think in terms of things like the MBS, there's often not an absolute answer as yet because I think often they're working it out themselves. Um, So any up-to-date information that we do have will be on our sort of pages like the telehealth page. So we've got links to the MBS sites there where they've got lots more information and all their fact sheets. Um, So check that out. The telehealth page, as Jeff said, is a really good one um, with lots of information on there.